Okay. Hello, everyone. We got to start. We also have to start plugging things like YouTube and social media and all this shit. I hear all these podcasts being like, and our Facebook and our Twitter. And I'm like, you guys are so smart. We're just, we just sing a song and we're like, bye. Literally everyone's (laughs) like, here's our Twitter. Here's our merch. Here's our blog. Here's our thing. Whatever. Like send us an email, send us a letter, yada, yada, yada. And they're always like, what's the other thing that they say? Oh, like, and subscribe. Yeah. And we're just like, we're like woo okay Quinnies, love you bye like gotta get better gotta get better we'll work on it we'll work on it leave the dog alone because the dog didn't do a damn thing and now you're trying to feed him your body now fluid. shall kill all of your hands and a dog fish a tampon out of the garbage and write the bubble but you can pretend like you will a dog wow Okay, hello everyone and welcome to a special edition of Straight Up Evil. This is a blonde and brunette private investigation. My name is Jocelyn, I am the brunette, and we have Carly, she's the blonde. Oh, hey. Tonight, we are covering, oh wait, first, yes, it's Cinco de Mayo, but also it is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Awareness Day. Yes. Right? That's right. It's a mouthful. It It is. Um, yeah. So if you're ever at our website, straightupevilpodcast.com under our missing tab, we have several stories of, uh, indigenous women in our back catalog. We have a whole episode dedicated to just missing and murdered indigenous women, a very good cause to support. They're probably on Facebook and stuff, right, Carly? Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Definitely check that out. Um, tonight's case. Poof. I have a, a lot of feelings about this. It's a doozy. Lots of thoughts and feelings and emotions. It's a doozy. <laughs> Tonight, we are covering the disappearance of Michelle Ann Harris from Owego, New York in 2001. Michelle has not been seen since 2001 and will have been gone a full 20 years this coming September. Michelle left behind four children, Taylor, Kayla, Jenna, and Tanner, who are all under the age of eight when she went missing so sad super sad so michelle's estranged husband calvin harris has been to trial four times for her murder okay so i'm, I'm not lit i can't i can't like already i cannot with this four times four four times, times. four times he has been on trial for her murder um, despite a mountain of circum- circumstantial evidence, Cal was eventually acquitted and currently lives as a free man, acquitted of that charge. Yeah. He and Michelle's four children, who I just mentioned, Taylor, Kayla, Jenna, and Tanner, they all 100% believe in his innocence and they support him entirely. I know. Which is really, it's really... I mean, fascinating. I'm not going to say anything, but this is like a Deborah Green situation. It is. And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, like, we're definitely going to talk about the staircase with this episode. It's very much like a Michael Peterson's kids situation. 
Um, so no one has ever been successfully tried or convicted in connection with the disappearance of Michelle Harris. She has never been found and no remains have ever been discovered. So if you're already thinking that this sounds like the staircase, you're on the right track. If you're already thinking that this sounds like Jennifer Dulos, you're even oh more on the right track. It is such Jennifer Dulos vibes. Like it is uncanny total Jennifer Dulos situation. Yeah. Um, the court has decided that Calvin Harris is not guilty of the murder of his missing wife. However, the court of public opinion is largely in agreement that he definitely knows at the very least, he definitely knows what happened to Michelle if he did not make her disappear himself. So we're just going to lay out the facts of the case. We'll talk about some possible theories, um, some things that could possibly have happened to Michelle. And then we will let you decide for yourselves what happened here. But I think we all already know <laughs> exactly what happened. Um, Pretty much and know. big shout out to my mom who requested yes. this case. She's I love this. The, she is the one who wanted us to cover this one. So thanks, mom. Love Um, So Michelle Ann Harris was born on September 29th of 1965. Now I know Michelle has a younger brother, Greg, but I found really very little information about her early life. Yeah. Right. So this is just like Susan Powell episode. Um, You know, I can tell you what color Cal Harris's sneakers were in kindergarten, but I can't tell you really anything at all about her early, early childhood or, um, life prior to her marriage. Something has to be done. Something has to be done about this. I don't know what, but it's just every case, every time this is what happens. It's so hard to find the information on the victim. It really is. Um, so Michelle grew up in a tiny, tiny town called Tioga center in upstate New York. And according to her children's nanny, Michelle came from a small town, right? And came from a very working class family. Um, She did attend the State University of New York at Morrisville, and she got an associate's degree in business administration. And when Michelle disappeared, she was in the middle of what was described as a, quote, complicated divorce from Cal. Here we go. So we know that there are four children involved, right? So that alone makes it complicated from the jump. Definitely. Additionally, Cal was from an extremely wealthy family. We cannot stress that enough. They own several car dealerships in the area, including Royal Chevrolet and Royal Nissan. And Michelle and Cal actually met because she was working as a secretary in one of the dealerships. That's like, that's how they were introduced to each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And they got married in 1991. And because of his family's wealth, Cal had money to burn and they had, they wanted for nothing. Basically. Otis they, Dulos. Exactly. Like, they, exactly. They the were four kids. Up. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. She did have four kids. Didn't she? I thought it was five for some reason. Nope. It was four. Mm. Yeah. So. The Harris family lived on a 252-acre property in Owego, New York. So we are talking about, to call this a mansion is just like the understatement of the century. The driveway was half a mile away from the property. The entrance to the driveway was a half mile 
away from the property. Like if there's a gate, then you know, like something is up, you know, yeah. there's a gate at the beginning of the driveway. Come on. Yeah. Like a very, very nice property. There was a lake on the property. There's several acres of thick forest. Like this is a huge property. And I have a Quinny question. Have you ever been to a property like this? And also, why is this a place where women go to die? Like what, like, how does this happen? (laughs) Oh my God. It's so easy. It's just so easy. It's so secluded. It is. I have been to a place like this once. It was a friend from elementary school. I went over like for a play date to her grandmother's house, who was also a teacher at the school. And they had like a farm. We like brushed the horses and like had all the, like had all the fun, but technically their whole, you know, we didn't go everywhere. Obviously we were only, you know, young, but they had a huge, wasn't maybe quite 252 acres, but it was a huge property. There was definitely woods. There was definitely a pond, you know, the horses had so much land to just run around and everything. It was great. But yeah, now looking back at it, I was like, oh man many places a body could be hit definitely places definitely like having that much space around you is just like great for privacy but horrible in this situation no I've never I've only ever driven by like incredible properties that you know some of the ones I feel like too in the Berkshires and in the Adirondacks that's all you see is the gate Right. And you know, right. that like up, you know, that half mile up is probably like a stunning mm-hmm. house. And you're never going to go up there. You're never going to get up there. No, no, nope. So like we said, right, Cal and Michelle, who went by Shelly, they were in the process of getting divorced when she disappeared. So it was Michelle who filed for divorce in January of 2001. This is about eight months before she went missing. And Cal did not want to divorce, point blank, said, I do not want to get a divorce. I don't understand why you want to do this. However, both Michelle and Cal were having sexual relationships with other individuals while they were still married. They had an open relationship. So this is actually very forward thinking for 2001. You know, 20 years later, we all know people who are in polyamorous relationships or have at least tried that, or it's very much more accepted than it was. And this was, they were doing this, but they were not like out and proud doing this. This was a behind closed doors thing. They were upholding an image. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we just want to say whatever works for people, you know, if you and your partner, that's what you decide to do. You get, you get down on it. You go ahead go and just do, go for it. Do you it only up. live once, man. You only live okay. once. And this is not, there's no comment here on this lifestyle. No. That's, that is just the nature of the situation. And from what we know, Cal and Michelle were in agreement, right? Like they're living mm-hmm. their lives this way and they're both okay with it. Not like the Dulo situation. No. Right. Right. And it's an important detail to remember because when things start to not add up in the story, it's important to remember that this is what they were doing. So do we know why she filed for divorce specifically? I think from the testimony from her friends and family, mm-hmm. 
it was a loveless marriage Hmm. and she was 35 years old and she really had, she was very bright and had just, she was just a very bright and ambitious person and loved her children and wanted to, wanted happiness. Yeah. You know, even, even if it's not, even if that means being a single mom. Sure. You know, in my, and I imagine that she said, okay, like, cause she comes to him with the idea of divorce and he's like, why would you want to do this? Like, we're already mm-hmm. in an open relationship. Like, what is the problem? And I imagine her being like, because you're an asshole, Cal, <laughs> because I don't like you because I don't, I don't like you because that's I don't why. like you. That's why, because I don't like you. Um, that's just how, that's how I imagine it. But, um, so up until they filed for divorce, Michelle was a full-time mom to her four children who by all accounts adored her. She was a devoted mother, very attentive, always involved, um, just very, by all accounts, just a really great mom. She did not have any type of gainful employment outside of taking care of four kids, which is definitely a full-time job. So once the divorce proceedings were underway, Michelle got a job as a waitress at a sports bar called Lefties in Waverly, which is like another really tiny town very close to where she lived. And this is weird. When you hear this on the surface, like why would a wealthy 35-year-old woman who is, you know, by all accounts, probably set for life, Mm -hmm. get a waitressing job? Like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And Michelle's attorney after the fact kind of clarified this step because her attorney said that in divorce negotiations, Cal offered Michelle number one, full custody of all four children offered it and offered her $80,000 every year for the next 10 years. So that sounds like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. sounds like she'd be fine. sounds like, why would you need why would you need a waitressing job? Mm-hmm. But she's responsible for caring for four kids yeah. and she doesn't have a job. So her attorney was like, it's not glamorous, but like she wanted to take a proactive approach. Yeah. Like I, if I'm going to have four kids by myself, I need to be working. Yeah. So she just, she was beautiful. She was in great shape. She was a very bubbly person. Like, like I said, she worked as a secretary in the car dealership. Like she's comfortable in customer service, comfortable in a person to person. Maybe she served before, you know, maybe she served before. Absolutely. So she waiting tables came naturally to her. She did it very well. And after she disappeared, her manager reported that she was an ideal employee. She had regular customers. She had friends and all of her coworkers, just really a delight of a person. So while the divorce is in motion and it's getting all worked out, Cal and Michelle continue to live together in the house. So funny. In a week ago. Like, I, can you imagine that situation? And some reports say that it was a mutual agreement for the, for the children. And others say that it was mandated by the court because they wouldn't grant custody to either of them until no, divorce negotiations were final. Mm. So like, that's where the kids were. Mm-hmm. And so neither one of them had the right to be there with the kids without the other one. Sure. So they were in the same place, but again, 252 acres, you could probably avoid each other pretty good. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to, 
But I have a problem with this because when I was watching the 2020 on this Mm -hmm. whole case, Cal said that Michelle slept on the couch every night. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me, first of all, you're telling me that you have 252 acres and you live in a mansion that mm-hmm. there is not another bedroom that she could sleep in. First of all, there's not an office you can convert into a room. There's not a pullout bed somewhere, an air mattress somewhere. Yeah. Anything. And this woman has to sleep on the couch. That. Mm. Well, we're going to find out, Carly, that he is doing some shady ass shit to her. And I think that plays into this whole, I think it plays into her sleeping on the couch mm-hmm. and her, her basically being, being stripped of everything. Also, do we even know she's on the couch? Because that's what Cal said. So yeah. Who? Yeah. And who trusts Cal? Who, okay. Not us. Not it. Not happening. So, all right. So she's working at lefties and she's still living with Cal and the children in the Owego house in the first week of September of 2001. After Michelle goes missing, Cal says that she was drinking excessively and using cocaine during this time period. He says. He says. Cal says. says. Yep. Okay. Both Michelle's relatives and her close friends would contradict this entirely (laughs) and say that she did not even like getting drunk and she never used drugs. So... You decide for yourselves on that one. She definitely was going out after work to local bars with her coworkers once her shift had finished. That's all been corroborated by witnesses. She was doing that, but there's no reports of her doing cocaine or getting painfully drunk. And, you know, there's nothing. And that's like, there's so many reasons why that is okay to just like go out with your coworkers First of all, it's like the first time she's like had a little bit of freedom, probably mm-hmm. in a long time. And it's also just like the whole culture of live, of working at a restaurant, I feel. Yeah, like absolutely. People, you know, you just go out time. after work. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it definitely goes with the industry. Yeah. Like that's not out of the normal. No. So she had planned to drive down to New York City on September 13th and stay for a few days. She told her friends that she was going to pawn some of her jewelry, including her engagement ring, two carat diamond engagement ring, because she desperately needed money. This is what she told her friends. And I'm thinking like, what? How could she need money? Like she's living in a mansion, like this massive property, like this again, just like sleeping on the couch, just like getting a job as a server. This is one of the many signs that we're going to see in this story that things are not what they seem Mm -hmm. in this house. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of shady shit that's going on that is beneath the surface. So Cal stated that he thought Michelle was going to the city to meet some college friends. And he said that she never made any mention of pawning her jewelry. So on September 11th of 2001, the worst terrorist attack on American soil was committed right here in New York City. 
Two commercial airliners were hijacked, crashed into the World Trade Center, killing thousands of people and wounding tens of thousands of people. I don't need to remind any of you about that day because we all remember exactly where we were, exactly what was going on when it happened. Mm -hmm. And Michelle spent that entire day with her four children before her shift that night at Lefty's. I, I presume that they were all just glued to the television, like oh, the rest yeah, of us, right? just like yeah. watching all the coverage, trying to figure out like what happened. Yeah. Um, she left the property at approximately 3.30 p.m. in her gold 2000 Ford Windstar minivan to work her shift. She finished at approximately 9.30 and she left, according to her coworkers and some witnesses at the bar, with one of the cooks. And his name was Michael Hakes. We're going to talk a lot more about him. But right now he's just a cook at Lefty's who she left her shift with. Mm -hmm. So the following morning, September 12th of 2001, Cal wakes up and realizes nobody's getting the kids ready for school. That's typically Michelle's job. Mm. And he wakes up and is like, okay. So Michelle's not there. And the nanny's not there to help him. She's not a live-in nanny, but she's there pretty much daily to help out with the four children. So Cal starts waking up all the kids and he calls the nanny and is like, hello, I need you to come here. I need help. I need to get these kids ready for school. He was not alarmed that Michelle wasn't home. He said that they've largely been living separate lives at this point. He didn't think anything of it. He told Barb, the nanny, her name is Barb Thayer. He said, Michelle didn't come home last night and I need to get the kids ready for school. Hmm. Barb leaves immediately and comes to the house. And upon arriving at the base of the driveway, which again is half mile away from their front door, Barb observes Michelle's van, the 2000 gold Ford Windstar pulled off to the side of the road, basically at the entrance to the driveway. Mm -hmm. So Barb immediately was like, oh, she's home. But it wasn't in the gate. No, it was not in the gate. It was outside of the entrance. And Barb immediately was like, oh, oh my God, great. She's home. Like, because when Cal called, Barb was like, nope, this is not right. Something is not right. That doesn't make any sense. She's a devoted mother. There's absolutely no way that she just wouldn't come home. No. Without a call, nothing. Yeah. No. Like, no. Um, You know, yes, Michelle had several sexual partners. Yes, Michelle sometimes went out after work. Never in the whole time that Barb was her nanny did she ever see her just not come home. Mm -hmm. So she drives up to the house and expects Michelle to be there because her car is there. And Cal is like, no, she's not here. Like, that's why I called you. And Barb's like, yeah, but her car is at the base of the driveway. And Cal says, well, we got to go get it. What? Okay. Okay. That's not my, that wouldn't be my first thought, but okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. And as this is happening, Michelle's best friend, Nikki Burdick, calls the house line to talk to Michelle because 
they would do this. They would send the kids off to school. The kids would get picked up by the bus or the kids would get dropped off, whatever. And usually by this time, Michelle would be back at the house and Nikki would call her and they would like shoot the shit. Like mm-hmm. they would like have coffee and talk and whatever. Mm-hmm. So she calls and Barb picks up and Nikki's like, Barb, what the hell are you doing there? <laughs> like, why, like, why are you right. here? Like, you know, what's going on? And uh, Barb's like, Michelle never came home. And Nikki immediately panics. Yeah. Is like, what do you mean? Like they both know like this is not. Yep. Not not normal. Not Not good. good, Not normal. So she calls Michelle's cell phone. It rings and goes to voicemail. She leaves her a message. And now both women are panicking and everyone is panicking. It seems like. Except. Except (laughs) for Cal. Like. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. He would he would be described as cool and nonchalant through the entire ordeal. Okay. So um he went to work that day. Okay. So that's how concerned yep. he was with what was going on. So that morning, Michelle was supposed to go to her attorney's office and have an appointment. And that offer that I mentioned about $80,000 a year for the next 10 years and full custody of the kids, Michelle was planning to accept that offer. Sure. But in the last negotiation, the last meeting that she ever had, um, she said, sure, that's, I like that offer and I'm interested in that offer, but I want a full accounting of the businesses. And Cal did not like that. And again, she did have an associates in business administration. She did have an understanding of real property and those type of assets. And she wanted to understand what kind of properties he, what basically where his assets were mm-hmm. with respect to the business, because again, they have four children. She needs to have an understanding of not only am I going to be okay, but are my kids going to be okay in this? Mm-hmm. So she wants to be able to take it to the bank and say, look, you, you, you know, we haven't even talked about child support yet. We're right. talking about spousal support. Right. So this is a whole other battle that's going to have to be fought. Now, is there any possibility that she also wants to make sure that everything in the business is good standing? And cause like, maybe she wasn't sure that Cal was doing so hot in the businesses. So yes. So she also had been largely kept in the dark about the nature of their finances. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything looks good, but she's not, she doesn't have a physical record of how well or not well they're doing. So this is an opportunity for her to say, no, I want to take a look at the businesses and I want to know where the money is because she is, she is entitled to half as part of, you know, as part of being married and she wanted to know where that was at. And Cal did not like that. And it did not go over well, but she was going to meet with her attorney because she intended to accept his offer. Mm -hmm. So Michelle doesn't show up and Nikki calls the attorney and is like, did she go to her appointment? Because Nikki obviously knows, you know, she's her best friend. Did you go to the appointment? No, she tells the attorney and the attorney calls 911, Carly. See, the attorney immediately. Like, how does this keep happening? How, how telltale? 
It, it is, is so but... telltale. I'm dumbfounded that this is still a thing. I don't understand I don't why understand. the significant other is not the person calling the police. It makes no, he went to work. He's just he went like, to work ah, regular day. So within an hour, we have detectives, Mike Myers and Mike Young. I'm going to call them the Mikes. The Mikes. They go to the dealership and question Cal. You know, we got this call. What the hell is going on? Oh, we didn't, you didn't call, but we got no. a call about your It wasn't wife, you, but, but we got a call about your missing wife. So, and the Mikes describe Cal as calm and entirely unemotional. Deborah he... Green. Deborah Green, Scott <laughs> Peterson. So, what do it? Can't, can't. So, he accompanies the detectives back to the house, and he let them look around, even though they didn't have a warrant. He just, you know, go ahead, guys, whatever, go ahead, let them look all over the house, all over the property. Mm-hmm. The detectives found nothing unusual. Cal immediately denied having anything to do with her disappearance and told them to look into Michelle's personal life. Okay. So this is hours after, after she's reported missing and he's already being like, no, you should really look into what she's been up to. Also, this is coming from the guy who is, first of all, the father of her four children. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy who didn't want the divorce to begin with. So would you not think that if he still wanted to be married to her, he would have some sort of emotional something? Yes. Anything. Yeah. No, nothing. Okay. Absolutely nothing. Like, yeah, he was contesting this. He did not want this to happen. And now she's disappeared and he's just like, whatever. Right. Right. So this is the point where Cal straight up tells the detectives that he cut Michelle off from her allowance and from their accounts. And this is why she got a restaurant job. Think about that. Like, think about the level of desperation. Think about the level of desperation and how fucking humiliating it must have been for her to be working at the local watering hole trying to get money because she could not she didn't have any money right he froze her out and her husband is a rich 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 very wealthy person majorly rich and she's going to new york city to pawn her jewelry right so that she i mean he was doing everything that he could to keep her in this situation to keep her needing him. Yep. So he cut her off and he said that working in a restaurant job, quote, exposed her to a bad element. Cool. Awesome, Cal, because you're a car salesman. Right. So like, you're so trustworthy, like, great. Awesome. Then he goes back to work. He leaves the detectives at his house and he goes back to work. Could not be less concerned about what's going on. Could not. Okay. Okay. Cool. So Nikki shows up and she is flipping out. Yes. 
Yeah. She's talking to the detectives being like, no, nope, absolutely not. She's like, Shanann Watts. She, like ex- Watts. Yes, exactly. And wasn't her name, Nicole? I think it was. I yeah, think it, it was. was. <laughs> she was like, nope, absolutely not. She's like, mm-hmm. if Cal woke up in the morning and found that she wasn't there, he would have been flipping out, screaming, yelling. He did not want to deal with the kids. He yep. would have been through the roof pissed. Yep. And now he's just acting like he doesn't care. Like, no, not normal. Not okay. Not okay. Mm-mm. The nanny, Barb, who is there, also mm-hmm. says, quote, Cal had an explosive temper. She has seen it. So no, they're both like, no, absolutely not. And Barb mentions the single fact in this case that seals it for me, Mm -hmm. that absolutely Mm -hmm. writes this guy's guilty verdict for me. So before the attorney calls the police to alert them that Michelle never showed up for her appointment and was afraid of her husband and was afraid of her husband's family, Barb and Cal went to the base of the driveway to get the van. Remember Cal said, oh, we got to go get it. So they go to get the van. The keys are in the ignition. Cal starts rummaging through the van for a little bit. And then he says, quote, this car is a mess. I want you to drop it off at the dealership and I'm going to clean it from top to bottom. Nope. Okay. So she does. Nope, and nope. that's thank you so much for listening to this episode of Straight Great. Up Evil. We Case closed. Thank done. you very much. Nope. Yeah. In what universe does doing something like that make any sense at all? This is literally Fotis Dulos having yes. his employee take the take the car, take the truck, take the seats from the truck, have them like, have them. Oh oh, yeah. Go ahead. No big deal. Like just start taking pieces of my car away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go clean. I don't care about anything ever. Okay. I can't handle the four kids getting ready. (laughs) The kids ready for school. I need the nanny to come, but I'm going to clean my, my wife who I'm not concerned is not there. I'm concerned that her minivan is too dirty. So let me clean that from top to bottom. Real yeah. Quick. And we're leading totally separate lives. So I'm just yeah. going to go ahead and yeah. clean her car yeah. out for her. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're not, t- you cannot tell me that Cal Harris drove that minivan any other time. Like it was not like a sharing a vehicle situation. No, absolutely he, no. not. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. that's it. That's it. That's that closes done. the book. What's, what else else there is there to say? But there's more. (laughs) So the police don't get to the van until later that afternoon. And it had already been cleaned. So typically we would be like, great guys. Great job. Really great. But this is September 12th. And the state police just sent 600 troopers to New York City the night before. By their own admission, they were severely understaffed. And everyone was focused on 9-11. No one was looking at this. No one. No, like, honestly, it it was hard for anyone to focus on anything else besides what had just happened. Yeah. You know? So, you know, it's, we can't, this is not on the police. This one is not on the police. Mm -hmm. They, they were compromised. They had, this is exactly what happened with the sniper in D.C., because 9-11 happened and they shifted all their focus to terrorism they 
you know, there, there were some good opportunities to get him and yeah. they were missed because the, there just wasn't enough manpower. So, um, it's possible that this time period, this crucial time period for gathering evidence was missed entirely. Um, but they did try Cal again, readily allows them to search the entire property. Sure. Do whatever you want. He was so unconcerned Mm -hmm. about this, you know, like he, Mm -hmm. he doesn't, he let them be there when he was like, when he wasn't there, like not concerned, not worried. So they search in the following days and zero clues about what happened to Michelle. They find absolutely nothing. They use helicopters, dogs, Mm -hmm. ground radar, they did uh, dive teams in the lake on the property. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Did they do like sonar and everything too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing. They did find some small drops of blood in the kitchen and in the garage of the home. The garage. But no definitive signs of foul play. So Michelle has never been seen or heard from since. No activity has been recorded on her cell phone, her bank accounts, her credit cards, her social security number, absolutely nothing. I need Silence. to know, I need to know from the nanny, if a certain recent shipment of paper towels went missing that day. Yes. Jennifer Dulos. I keep bringing it up because it's just so, so similar. Oh my God. It really is. It is. It's, uh, I can't take it. It's just so, it's so like the parallels are just out of control. So in the weeks following her disappearance, Cal decided to go full Scott Peterson and try to sell all of Michelle's possessions at a garage sale. Okay. So he knew she wasn't coming back. Getting rid of all of her stuff and trying to turn a profit on it too, by the way, which is right. really fucking great. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because he needed more money. Yeah. Cause he's, yeah. Cause he needed more money because his wife was literally slinging drinks to, to uh, it's, it's, uh, he's such a bastard. He really is. So, um, what the hell happened here? Let's talk about the circumstances of the last night anyone ever saw Michelle. So like we said, right, Michelle's leaving work at Lefty's with a cook named Michael Hakes. Now the police talk to Hakes and they learn that he and Michelle left work at the same time to go get a drink with Michael Casper, who's okay, another like co-worker. Four mics. We're, so far we're up to four mics. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Okay. Um, so Michael Casper is another coworker who Michelle happened to be casually seeing at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody knew that they were seeing each other. He was much, much younger than her. I believe Michael Casper was 24 and okay. Michelle was 35. Okay. So younger, much younger. Um, so, okay. Bear with me here. Two guys, both named Michael, both work at lefties both having a drink with Michelle that night. Mm -hmm. Michelle was casually hooking up with Michael Casper, but not Michael Hakes. They just happened to leave work at the same time to go meet 
Michael Casper. Mm -hmm. So after they have this drink, the three of them, Michelle went to a man named Brian Early's apartment. Now, Brian Early is an interesting man. He met Michelle in 2000 in a local bar. And she explained that she and her husband were both unfaithful to each other and miserable in their marriage. And Michelle and Brian began seeing each other after that. And Brian actually went as far as to move to the area to be closer to Michelle Mm. and to support her through her divorce. Hmm. He told investigators that he actually wanted to ask Michelle to marry him once her divorce was final. So he was in love with her, capital L, in love with her. Um, They were saying, I love you to each other. And so the relationship with Brian was much more serious. And the hookup with Michael Casper was just a purely sexual encounter. Okay. Um, This makes a lot of sense to me because I read a couple um, interviews with her best friend that he was financially supporting her as well. Like he gave her some money for a down payment on her own place if she was going to move out of the house. And we really can't. Like, we can't stress enough that she was desperate for money at this time. And she was really, her friend said, like, she did not have an intention to marry him. Like, they were, she did love him, but she did not want to jump into another marriage. She didn't trust jumping into another marriage. And so that was not her intention with this. But they were serious about each other, and he was offering her support. Now, did he know about Michael Casper? He knew that she was a sexually open person. Yes, he knew that. He knew that. And he very much thought, you know, she is going through probably one of the more stressful things that someone can go through. And yeah, he wanted to get serious with her. She was not eager to do something like that. But she did go to his house that night. And the investigators look into all of these guys, obviously. And Michael Hakes, the cook who left lefties with her had done hard time in Arizona for rape. He did 10 years for rape. Yikes. Yeah. So naturally, this makes the investigators take a harder look at him and the whole timeline. Mm -hmm. However, Brian Early admits that Michelle came to his place at about 1030 that night after leaving Michael Hakes and Michael Casper. Mm -hmm. And she left her house, uh, she left his apartment to go to her house close to midnight and she was unharmed. And then Hakes and Casper say that they definitely left Michelle that night prior to her going to Brian Early's and she was fine. She was only with them for like what? An hour. Yeah, an hour. She, she literally met them for a drink after the shift. And that was it. Yeah. That was it. Like there was no. Yeah. She went out with them for a drink. She went to Brian's and then she went home. Okay. So all three of these guys were heavily interrogated. Mm -hmm. All three of them willingly took polygraphs and all three of them passed without incident. All three of them were cleared. Right. Okay. Um, I want to know where is her tips? Like, where are her tips? Where is her apron with all of her things? Well, I think what Cal took from the car and, you know, just like any of us who have worked in a restaurant, you know, that there's a, like, for me, it was a old, um, container of chocolate covered espresso beans. 
that I just kept <laughs> tons of cash in. Nice. Like in a restaurant nice. job, yeah. I was just like filling up a jar. Basically, it's so unsafe. Yeah. Oh, filling no, up a totally jar right. like in my room of cash because you don't really like you just don't really you can't use... go to the bank immediately after exactly. closing and deposit it or whatever. Yeah, and it's such a it. bitch too when you're like on your way into your shift, you know you're not going to be able to make change because it's the beginning of a shift, and you're like, okay, I better bring like this stack of ones yeah. with me so I don't have to deal with like whatever. I was terrible. I kept, I was terrible. <laughs> I would keep it in my book mm-hmm. okay, for way too long. And then finally, like it would still probably be in there for a couple of days. Okay. In my purse, in the book. And then mm-hmm. I would finally take it all out and just shove it in my side drawer. <laughs> so I bad. Yeah. And then You're whatever just... I would keep in my purse, I would just be loose in my purse. Like, whatever. yeah, terrible. It's just, but you don't, you at that time, you're not really thinking no, about how dumb not. it is. It's just, so again, I think she probably disappeared with her apron and her book. Yeah. And I want to know where the fuck her little chocolate covered espresso bean jar was yes. with all of her money in it. Yes. That's what I want to know. It had to have been in the car because she didn't even have a bedroom exactly. in this mansion anymore. She was apparently sleeping on the couch. Yeah. It had to have been, unless she maybe had a stash at Brian's house, but he would have said, he, I think he would have he said, would have said, I think he would have turned it over. Yeah. Right. Um, so where the fuck was Cal? Cal was seeing an old girlfriend that night who alibied him as having come to her house after work. She did. Of course she did. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Cool. Was she riding in his truck while he deposited bags of garbage down the street? Just dropping a bag every two. No, no, she, no, they, apparently they were at her house and, uh, you know, sure. who the hell was with the kids? Exactly. I was just gonna, I'm like, oh, poor Barb, poor nanny Barb is just waiting, just sitting oh, there waiting. Oh my God. So within three weeks of Michelle's disappearance, Cal and this girlfriend are in a serious relationship. So it's cool. Awesome. Cool. cool, Um, so at this point, Michelle's poor family is beside themselves. Okay. Like beside themselves, her father, Gary later recalled that Cal never contacted him, never contacted him. After Michelle disappeared to ask, have you heard from her? Have you heard anything? Do you have any idea? He said that they would attend birthday parties like for the kids or with the kids and Cal would come to the party and he literally could never make eye contact with Michelle's dad. Who does that sound like? Hmm, I wonder. That is textbook Scott Peterson not able to look at Lacey's mom in the hours following her disappearance. So I can't. So basically Michelle's family at this point is just so upset and so cynical about nothing's being done there, you know, like, what are they supposed to do? Right. They're basically like, you know, he's so wealthy that he's going to buy his way out of going to jail yeah. and they have no body. And they just think like, we're not going to get justice for Michelle. We're not going to find out what happened. Like they're just, 
heartbroken over all of this. And even though he's really wealthy and even though he had an alibi, Cal was the prime suspect in Michelle's disappearance for several reasons. Yes. Number one, financial motive to kill her, get out of paying alimony for the next 10 years. It's a pretty big one. Yeah. Even though Um, he offered whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. See, that's the thing too, is like, we're going to be talking about second degree murder in this case. And I don't know if he ever actually intended to pay that. Right. But he also doesn't seem like a planner. So I don't know. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. Um, So there's financial motive right there. Then Cal's ridiculous behavior following her disappearance. Okay. Cleaning the van, having a garage sale, not calling the police, selling all of her possessions, taking up with a new partner just weeks after she's disappeared. And then the giantest of giant red flags. He didn't call her. (laughs) When she did not come home. He never once called her to ask her where she didn't was. Didn't even try. Didn't even. Okay. 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 How do you explain that? Innocent or guilty, whatever. Let's, let's just for one tiny second say that he's innocent, which we know he's not. Let's say that he is. Okay. No reasonable innocent person would, regardless of the situation with the divorce, not at least call one time. Okay. One time then say he's guilty. Anyone with reasonable common sense would call to therefore seem less guilty. Yes. Like Scott Peterson. Hey, beautiful. I'm on my way home. I couldn't get that fruit basket. Like, truly forgive me i mean at least scott peterson did that at least yeah he never called her which is just come on come on come on cal i come on um investigators also point this out and this is pretty brilliant you know your wife by all accounts disappeared half mile from your front door And you have four kids under the age of 10 at home and you're very wealthy. You don't, you're not concerned. You don't get extra security. You don't change the codes. You don't change the locks. You don't, uh, you don't act like you're in danger in any way. How do you like not even think there's a possibility of like a ransom situation? Yeah. Or like it would escalate to a ransom situation with one of the kids. Cool. So I'm after Cal is so calm and collected all the time. He I'm is really so calm and collected. And also it's just so stupid because you're like, <laughs> he's never like that in life, in the world ever except for any for reason, except time. for in this situation, <laughs> he's cool as a cucumber. Like, no, sure. no. Um, so this poor family has to wait four years. No arrests. <sighs> Finally, September 30th of 2005, Cal is arrested. They hauled his ass right out of the car dealership, okay? And they charged him with second-degree murder because there's no body. 
very circumstantial case, almost no physical evidence. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor was really hesitant to do this. And they wanted to make sure that they had a solid case mm-hmm. before they could pursue him. I mean, they've been looking at him since day one. They're just been trying to prove it. Right. And so they took this case to grand jury first to get a jury to vote to indict mm-hmm. before they actually charged him. Mm-hmm. And they, a jury of 14 unanimously voted to indict. So they were like, we're in pretty good shape. Yeah. Cal immediately went home on half a million dollars bail and stayed a free man for the next two years throughout his entire trial in 2007. So it takes two years to get him to trial and several things contributed to this delay. There were requests from extensions by Cal's attorney. And then this is interesting. Prosecution actually alleged that there was favoritism going on uh, on the part of the judge in the pretrial hearings because the judge had personal connections to Cal's family and they called it out, which is pretty ballsy. I mean, it was really ballsy and the judge denied having any type of like basically being biased in any way, but he still stepped down. Yeah. Wow. Um, so the prosecutor in this case, his name is Jerry Keene. He said, this is the most difficult case of his career. Nobody, no physical evidence. After they did the initial search, New York state police did send in a forensic investigator to the Harris house specifically to find anything that they possibly could of evidentiary value. They found additional blood, Michelle's blood on the kitchen doorway on a kitchen throw rug and on the garage floor. So more than what they found to begin with. Yeah. They brought in Dr. Henry Lee to who he basically wrote the book on blood spatter and he was in the staircase trial. So again, this is just like, he knows what he's talking about here. Um, He testified that the blood spots on the doorway were caused by two separate blows to Michelle from a blunt instrument or from a fist. So he said the first one knocked her down. Mm -hmm. The second one caused blood to fly through the air. And he said, yes, small amounts of blood of all people are found in all people's homes. It happens. You're a human being. You live in a house. Sometimes, you know, blood is left there. Mm-hmm. But he said, you do not find medium velocity impact spatter unless someone has had a violent altercation. Right. So this is what I was so mad watching that 2020 when Cal was like, everyone has blood. There's blood everywhere in everyone's house all the time. There's blood everywhere. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I can understand a drop or two here and there. You cut your finger, you're, you know, chopping vegetables, you got a nosebleed, what have you. Mm-hmm. You're not going to tell me that there's so much of that in this, like they said, like this splatter of, you know, the blood splatter all over the place because she lived there. No, just because she just lived there on the no. couch, she, please. Because it had like for blood to fly like that, it had, it takes a certain amount of force. Yep. And it comes out in the trial that Michelle actually had an order of protection against Cal. 
at the time that even though they were living in the same house, in the house, how does that happen? How does that work? Again, they go back to pointing to the custody arrangement and neither one being willing to leave the children with the other. Yeah. And she had an order of protection against him, barring him from any quote, mental or physical abuse. And this comes out in the trial. And obviously the prosecution is quick to point this out because it's like, okay, she was afraid. She was afraid for her life. She was afraid. And the defense is trying to counter and say, well, okay, if there's blood on the kitchen doorway, then maybe it was a, it was just an altercation between the two of them and not, you know, not has nothing to do with her death. Not murder. No, not murder. Right. Of course. But then it's like, okay. Now you've introduced the idea that he was beating the shit out of her and you're admitting to that, but it's just, it was just, it was bad. It was not, it was not not handled well. It was just like, you're not the point that you're trying to make that like, maybe it was from uh, one time when he punched her instead of when he (laughs) murdered her. Like, it's not, you're not doing a good, it's not good. Come on. Um, so Cal Harris was convicted of second degree murder on June 7th of 2007, and he is awaiting sentencing at this time. So while all of this is going on, Kevin Tubbs comes on the scene. This, this dude, oh man, Kevin Tubbs. So he reads an article about Cal Harris in the local paper, and he's like, wait a minute. I think I saw Michelle Harris on September 12th. So he contacts Cal's attorney, which I'm kind of like, first little, call the police maybe. Um, He contacts Cal's attorney who immediately files a motion to overturn the conviction and go back to trial, basically get a new trial in light of new evidence. Mm -hmm. And the prosecution counters, they're like, Kevin Tubbs has a substantial criminal record and he cannot be trusted and he's not credible. And it's been six years. Yeah. So at the sentencing on August 24th, Tubbs and his mother, Gloria, testified that they saw a woman who they believed to be Michelle Harris and a man in his 20s standing next to a white pickup truck near the entrance of Harris's driveway at 5 30 in the morning mm-hmm. this just reminds me too like how does the harris household not have a security camera anywhere you know the restaurant didn't have a security camera either i know, I know it was done one but come on i know i know it it's no sense and also okay she's standing next to a Young pickup guy, truck whatever, whatever like where the hell is the van? Yeah. And like that just, it just doesn't match up with anything that we know, like that was physically observed was by the people who years. were there six years ago. Yeah. All of a sudden, six years later, you were, you recall now you haven't heard anything about this except for six years later. You're like, oh yeah. Oh, that's right. I think it was her. And I think it was definitely that, you know, I mean, oh, I can't. No, no. And the mom. No. So. In light of this evidence, the judge postponed sentencing. So that's not good. No. 
Then on November 2nd of 2007, Judge Smith threw out the second degree murder conviction and Cal went home on half a million dollar bond again. And they order a new trial with a new judge. Name is James T. Hayden. So in this trial, trial number two, keep track, people. Keep score at home, okay? Trial number two. We're only halfway there. He fucking testified in his own defense at trial number two and tried to convince the jury that he did not murder Michelle. And he was super bad at that because he murdered (laughs) Michelle. So he did a really bad job. And when the trial concluded on August 5th of 2009, he was again found guilty of second degree murder for the second time. This time he was sentenced to 25 to life. Mm -hmm. So over the next couple of years, Cal continues to appeal and his first appeal is denied. In 2012, the fucking state court of appeals overturns his conviction again and orders a new trial, the third trial. They granted this appeal on the grounds that the judge mishandled jury selection and hearsay testimony. Okay, this is another like unluckiest dude slash luckiest dude situation. Yep. So you're telling me that the judge, the first judge is biased. Okay, now this judge mishandles the jury selection. Okay, then there was the whole, oh, the lead investigator was biased against me because I fired her father years ago. So she yes for me to begin with. You're telling me that all these people just have it out for you for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. It's, it is like, it reminds me of Bob Durst. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, sir, but people keep dying around you. So I think that maybe like you have something to answer for. And it's also just, just such a testament to how desperate he is. Also, every time that he has a new trial, it's an entirely new set of attorneys. Can you imagine how expensive that is? Like just every time he's just rolling out the red carpet with new defense attorneys and new defense attorneys. And each time they can't get away from the fact that he murdered his wife. So they're just getting these things thrown out and fucked with on technicalities. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. So they moved the trial this time. First two trials were in Tioga County. Third trial would take place in Schoharie County. These poor children, Carly. All four of these children are watching this whole thing play out. And the whole time believing that their father is 100% innocent. I know. So as if it's not bad enough that they've lost their mom, who they adore. Right. Like now they're, the fate of their father is unknown and they have to watch this over and over and over They had again. to visit him in prison mm-hmm. to begin with. Then this keeps happening. Each trial, they're like, you know. Total roller coaster uh, ride for them. It's, so, it's terrible. And then Michelle's family. Thinking there's justice, then there's none. Thinking there's justice, then there's none. Like, Can you imagine being like him getting convicted and then it gets tossed out and then he gets convicted again and it gets to, like there and they're just and they know they they sort of the way that they talk about it, they sort of know that it's just a byproduct of being rich. Yeah. That he's just going to keep 
throwing money at it until something sticks. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's awful. So 2015, okay, 14 years this woman has been gone at this point. Third trial, Cal's third defense team apparently did a better job because this trial ends in May of 2015 with a hung jury, therefore ruled a mistrial, therefore on to the fourth trial. I can't. I like, can't. When has I this lo- ever happened before? I'm telling you, I looked at that. I really did. I looked for this. I don't, I cannot find someone who has gone to trial for the same murder four times. No. Like so this time, Cal requests a bench trial. And we kind of should have seen this coming. Yeah. Because juries do not like him because why. he's a schmuck and we can all feel it. We all of us can feel it. So juries don't like him. And he's trying to get out on a technicality, which he's basically done three times successfully already. Yeah. Um, you probably want a bench trial. That way, it's just a judge deciding your fate. And this time, it's Judge Richard Mott. This trial begins March 31st of 2016. The defense's strategy in this case, which is so random, they finger two Texas steelworkers, Stacy Stewart and Christopher Thomason. They lived in Tioga County in September of 2001, had no known connection to Michelle. They say they are the two people who murdered her. I don't get this. The defense says that Kevin Tubbs actually saw their white pickup truck with Michelle at the base of the Harris driveway that morning. But they thought it was black. Was the truck black? I thought the truck was white. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Is it black? It could be wrong. I thought it was black. I could totally be wrong. It could be black. They saw a truck. They saw the truck. (laughs) There was a truck. It saw a they truck. They say they saw. And they say that it was, it belonged to these two random people. So again, this is, it took them four trials, <laughs> but they're finally saying it wasn't Cal Harris. It was this other person. Because as we see in the show all the time, you have to say, if not me, then who? In order to get, in order to get out of a murder charge. Like there's got to be. Blaming yep. her own child. Another viable suspect, Deborah. What a class act. Classy. Um, so the judge deliberated for 12 hours and came back finding Calvin Harris not guilty of second degree murder and he went home. <sighs> I can't. So here we are. It's 2021. Um, no trace of Michelle. And since, since he was acquitted of murder, he cannot keep his ass out of court. Okay. So he goes right the fuck back into court in June of 2016. This is less than a month after he's acquitted of murder. Okay. Right back into court accused of stalking a police officer. So he's charged with second degree menacing and second degree harassment against Terry Schultz. This is a New York state police investigator who testified against him at his trial. 
According to court documents, he sat in front of this man's house for over an hour and he told him, quote, I'm going to get all of you guys. How's your son? Maybe I'll go drag him out of school. I've been following him around. He also had a dash cam in his vehicle, Cal did, and he is literally driving and taking taking video of the property, of the people who live there, of their license plates, of their cars. Like, this is shady ass shit. This is scary. It is. And he was found guilty and fined and ordered to attend anger management classes. Do you think he went? Oh, okay. Real quick. The calm, cool, collected mm-hmm. guy, mm-hmm. the calm guy. Now he needs to go to anger management. Yeah. Oh, hello. You, I, I'm, this blows my mind. This is such a crazy twist to the story that he's now stalking a police, officer. a police officer. Cause he thinks he is completely untouchable. Because look at what's happened. It's unbelievable. Like, he really does. He really thinks that he can get away with anything. Yeah, because he has. So just a few short months after that, he sued his business partner, his former business partner, for his half ownership in the car dealerships. So this guy, this poor guy, is running these businesses while his partner is in jail for murder. I'm sure it didn't do great for the business, by the way. I'm sure that didn't really bring the customers in. Yeah. And the judge dismissed the suit and Cal never appealed. So there's another like stupid ass thing that you're wasting your time doing. And money. And... (laughs) This one, this, this one is just, this is just beyond December of 2017, Christmas time, 2017, he fucking hit a couple in their vehicle on interstate 81 and drove away. Okay. They described Cal's pickup truck and the police fucking they called the police and described the vehicle and said hey they just, someone just hit my car and the police find him and pull him over and charge him with leaving the scene of an accident and he also blew a 0.13 so he was visibly intoxicated caused a car accident drove away from it so now it's leaving the scene of an accident dwi and he, his license was suspended. Okay. Okay. But Michelle was the, she was getting drunk and mm-hmm. she was all doing drugs and, and all, all the things. The drink. Come on. He says that he did not hit the couple. He says that the couple hit him. Carly. <laughs> <laughs> they were driving erratically. They were dry. They were so out of their minds and driving. They blew a point one three. They they called the police (laughs) on themselves. Honestly, like if if some like if that were even true, like why would they ever call the cops? Like what would be the point of ever? Everyone's out to get him. You see, everybody, everyone's out to get him. He's just been an innocent bystander this whole time. What happened to his girlfriend? Where's she? 
I mean, I don't know. As far as I know, he is single and ready to mingle. As far as as I know. (laughs) No. No. Um, And that's the last court activity we have for Cal at this time until his next DWI or his next bad idea. Um, But yeah, Carly, what the fuck happened to Michelle Harris? Dude. Okay. This is a Jennifer Dulos 2.0. Yeah. She was ambushed coming home, just like Jennifer was. He cleaned it up with paper towels, I bet you, just like Fotis Dulos did. Mm-hmm. She's on that property. He knew damn well that they were not going to be able to do, you know, find her on the 252 acres. Like it's just, he knew that property obviously very Mm -hmm. well they didn't regardless of dogs and divers and whatever like he knew damn well they wouldn't find her there yeah I I will have I do have to say it did cross my mind that maybe this was a hired job yeah it definitely crossed my mind I know me too entirely convinced he got his own hands dirty but with the anger situation I I would think that he did. Yeah. Totally. And like, it reminds me of Kathy Durst. Yes. It reminds me of just gone without a trace, never seen again, married to a guy from an extremely wealthy and powerful family. And I can just see the situation where he hit her and he hurt her really bad. And he made a phone call. Yep. You know, I don't, I don't really get the fucking van. I know down there. Like, I don't know know. what that, what kind of piece of that was, but he was just so matter of fact with the nanny when they found the van that it just Mm -hmm. makes me think that he, I don't know that he obviously knew the van was there or that he, it was part, it was all part of it was there, but why did he forget about it? You know what I mean? Or like, I just don't. Why would it be with the keys and the ignition? Yeah. I know. It doesn't, it, it does strike me as perhaps a hired yeah. situation. Yeah. I mean, she she definitely didn't leave. No. 100%, no possible way. No. Nope. Also, there is a, like a YouTube show with a woman named Michelle Harris and it's called Alive and Well. How fucked up is that? <laughs> That's the name of the show. Oh no. And it's like a wellness show. So if you Google Michelle Harris, the first thing that pops up is Michelle Harris alive and well. Oh, and it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. I guess it's just a really common name. Right. But she's not. She's definitely no longer with us. Right. And she definitely didn't leave of her own volition. And if he hired someone to do it, or if he had, if he had someone to, you know, come dispose of a body or something, I feel like his car connection, his dealership connection really comes into play there with like, it reminds me of fucking, uh, Josh Powell's brother who got the satellite images of the fucking wrecking yard and was like, I want this car to or whatever. You know, I just, I wonder if they had a vehicle go missing or like something that they didn't know. They cleaned cars regularly. Obviously they had all that stuff. And she had dealer plates on the van. Mm -hmm. 
which is pretty interesting because, you know, it's nobody's really going to bother you. Right. With those most of the time. Right. Um, so I don't know if she was taken out in her own van and then it was parked there. Like, I have no idea, but it, it's hard to believe that a big honking gold van would just be missed. Right. Well, I want to know what Cal was having cleaned out of there. Yeah. Was it just in case to cover his tracks? Was it just he wanted fingerprints gone? You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't think he ever intended for people to know that they were in an open relationship. Yeah. I don't think he ever wanted people to know that. Mm -hmm. And then she's out. She's out doing her thing. Mm -hmm. And I do not think he could handle that. Mm -hmm. Like she's, I don't think he ever expected her to wait tables. I don't think he ever expected that she was just going to be like, Mm -hmm. I think he expected to turn the money off and her to be like, whatever you want, Cal. Yeah. And instead she was like, I'll, fucking way table on the couch i'll, I'll sleep wait. on the couch yeah. i'll do whatever is necessary to never have to deal with you and your bullshit again yep and um and he got away with it he got away with murder four times four times four on times. our dime on, on our taxpayers dime yes um the attorney so, calling 911 i'm sorry yeah for the attorney to say, I know she was afraid for her life. I know yeah. she was afraid of her husband, afraid of her husband's family. Like there was a lot on the line in this negotiation and it's not normal. Yeah. The poor nanny. It's really oh. bad. Yeah. The nanny, she's, she's great. Barb. She says like, Michelle was the great, like she was so much more a friend than a, mm-hmm. than an employer. Right. You know, like she was just, and just a really good mom. It's just yeah. so terrible. Um, so barring any new evidence, Cal Harris cannot be tried again for the murder of Michelle. Mm-hmm. Um, but Michelle's never been found. So in that there is some hope, maybe someone saw something, Maybe someone will find something. Maybe someday we'll be able to say what actually happened to her. Um, You know, I know September 11th sticks out in a lot of people's minds, but if you are from upstate New York or you had any connection to that area, um, Michelle Harris was last seen on the night of September 11th, 2001. She's a white female, five foot two, approximately a hundred pounds. She would be 55 years old today. She had blonde hair, brown eyes. She had a tattoo of the sun on her right ankle and she had pierced ears. If you have any information concerning the disappearance of Michelle Harris, please contact the New York State Police 607-687-3961. She's still technically a missing person. Mm. So if you, you know, even something that doesn't seem significant, um, it's just such a mystery. The poor kids. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, and again, they just very much like Michael Peterson's children. They just 100% believe that he had nothing to do with it. Who would Um, want to believe that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Who like, who would want to deal with that? And, um, you know, Audrey Heron, 
same situation that this really reminds me of Audrey Heron big yeah. time. Um, just be just out of the blue going missing and the vehicle being involved. Now yes. in Audrey's case, her vehicle um, is with her, know. you know, very likely her vehicle is with her, but um, yeah, the whole thing with the car just makes, makes me yeah, think of her. Weird. Yeah. And weird Audrey Heron's children believe very much in their father's innocence as well. Yeah. You know, so it's not up to us to decide whether or not that's understandable because it is right. It's completely right. understandable, but um, yeah, I don't believe him. I just nope. don't believe him. No. Nope. And like we said at the beginning, at the very least, he knows more than that. Definitely. At the very least. Ugh. So yeah, I, this, is, this is what happens. Like this is what happens it when it's happening. This is what happens when these, like these Jennifer Dulos type women are like, no, I'm not doing it. I will raise my children myself and I will make it happen. And this is the only thing with Jennifer was that she had money. Yeah. She she was fine. Didn't need Otis in any capacity. I mean, she never really needed him. She's just like beautiful and talented and like all of these things. She ever really needed him. Yeah, that's true. He couldn't really hang that over her. Yeah. But, ugh. Awful. Yeah, it's a messed up one. And you can just tell in his interviews that he has an anger issue. You can tell right away. He, okay, he has crazy eyes. Yes. For sure. Yes. If Katie was here, I would be like, he has the eyes of Eric Menendez. Thank you very much. Because he does. (laughs) And he did, he does. He looks like a, uh, unhinged person. He he looks like an unhinged person. Yes. Yes. And one could argue that's because he's been on trial for the murder of his wife four times. However, what, what did you have to do, sir, to be on trial for the murder of your wife? Four times, four times. So he's just around. We'll probably run into him at some yeah. point, maybe, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, poor Michelle Harris. I know. It's such a sad story. Oh, and I wish just like, like we said in the beginning, like if we only knew more about the victims. Yes. Yep. There's a few books written about um, this entire story, but they're largely written from the perspective of the Harris family. Yeah. They're really not about Michelle. Yeah. And that that's hard, you know, because it's, it's of course, like we always say, like the ripple effects of this are huge, like absolutely huge. Um, and it obviously affected everyone involved, but it would be really nice to know more about her specifically. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Say hi to Sam. Love you. Bye. Bye.